Welcome to Drift Off, bedtime stories to help you unwind, relax, and drift off. Thank you for joining me. I'm your host, Joanne, and it's a pleasure helping you get restful sleep. You may have noticed that I don't have ads on the podcast. That's because I want this space to be restful. And instead of reading ads, I'd much rather read you a relaxing bedtime story. That's why I created this podcast, to offer you a calming, listening experience where nothing else is needed of you, only a quiet space where your imagination can be free to drift off far, far away from your daily obligations and to help you ease into a restful night's sleep. So if you're enjoying the show and want to support the podcast so we can continue making more sleepy bedtime stories, check out our premium membership where you can enjoy intro-free episodes, you'll have access to two bonus episodes per month, a monthly guided relaxation to help you get sleepy, and as of most recently, you'll have access to the entire audiobook Little House in the Big Woods over three and a half hours of continuous storytelling to help you drift off. You can sign up today at driftoff.supercast.com or see the link in the show notes. That's driftoff.supercast.com Tonight I'll be reading Chapter 2 from Maida's Little Shop. Maida's Little Shop is the first book of the Maida Westerbrook series by Enos Haynes Irwin that features a little girl named Maida who is sickly and lame. Maida is the daughter to Jerome Buffalo Westerbrook, a well-known successful Wall Street businessman. He decides to buy Maida a little shop in Charleston, Massachusetts, to give her a purpose and to help improve her health. But her father has only one condition, that she not tell anyone who she is or who her father is. And for the first time in her life, Maida finds true happiness, living in an ordinary neighborhood and making friends with ordinary children. And so, as always, my friend, Settling comfortably under the covers. Take a full, comfortable breath. And as you exhale, relax and let go. Allow any tension to just melt away. Letting your body sink deeper and deeper down into the softness of your bed. There is nothing else to do and nowhere else to be. So just lay back, relax, and enjoy the story.
Chapter 2, Cleaning Up The next two weeks were the busiest Maida ever knew. In the first place, she must see Mrs. Murdoch and talk things over. In the second place, she must examine all the stock that Mrs. Murdoch left. In the third place, she must order new stock from the wholesale places. And in the fourth place, the rooms must be made ready for her and Granny to live in. It was hard work, but it was great fun. First, Mrs. Murdoch called, at Billy's request, at his rooms on Mount Vernon Street. Granny and Maida were there to meet her. Mrs. Murdoch was a tall, thin, erect old lady. Her bright black eyes were piercing enough, but it seemed to Maida that the round glassed spectacles through which she examined them all were even more so. I've made out a list of things for the shop that I'm all out of, she began briskly. You'll know what the rest is from what's left on the shelves. Now about buying. There's a wagon comes round once a month, and I've told them to keep right on coming, even though I ain't there. They'll sell you your candy, pickles, pickled limes, and all such stuff. You'll have to buy your toys in Boston. Your paper, pens, pencils, rubbers, and the like also, but not at the same places where you get the toys. I've put all the addresses down on the list. I don't see how you can make any mistakes. How long will it take you to get out of the shop? Billy asked. Maida knew that Billy enjoyed Mrs. Murdoch, for often, when he looked at that lady, his eyes crinkled up, although there was not a smile on his face. A week is all I need, Mrs. Murdoch declared. If it weren't for other folks who are keeping me waiting, I'd have that whole place fixed as clean as a whistle in two shakes of a lamb's tail. Now I'll put a price on everything, so as you won't be bothered what to charge. There's some things I don't ever get, because folks buy too many of them, and it's such an everlasting bother keeping them in stock. But you're young and spry, and maybe you won't mind jumping about for every Tom, Dick, and Harry. But remember, she added in parting, don't get expensive things. Folks in that neighborhood ain't got no money to fool away. Get as many things as you can for a cent apiece. Get some for five and less, for ten, and nothing over a quarter. But you must also calculate to buy some things to lose money on. I mean the truck you put in the window just to make folks look in. It gets dusty and fly-specked before you know it, and there's an end on it. I also send them to the home for little wanderers at Christmas time. Early one morning, a week later, a party of three, Granny Flynn, Billy, and Maida, walked up Beacon Street and across the common to the subway. Maida had never walked so far in her life, but her father had told her that if she wanted to keep the shop, she must give up her carriage and her automobile. That was not hard. She was willing to give up anything that she owned for the little shop. 
They left the car at City Square in Charleston and walked the rest of the way. It was Saturday, a brilliant morning in a beautiful autumn. All the children in the neighborhood were out playing. Maida looked at each one of them as she passed. They seemed as wonderful as fairy beings to her, for would they not all be her customers soon? And yet, such was her excitement, she could not remember one face after she had passed it. A single picture remained in her mind. A picture of a little girl standing alone in the middle of the court. Black-haired, black-eyed, a vivid spot of color in a scarlet cape and a scarlet hat. The child was scattering breadcrumbs to a flock of pigeons. The pigeons did not seem afraid of her. They flew close to her feet. One even alighted on her shoulder. It makes me think of St. Mark's in Venice, Maida said to Billy. But little girl, scarlet cape, flocks of doves, St. Mark's, all went out of her head entirely when she unlocked the door of the little shop. Oh, oh, she cried, how nice and clean it looks. The shop seemed even larger than she remembered. The confused, dusty, cluttery look had gone. But with its dull paint and its blackened ceiling, it still seemed dark and dingy. Maida ran behind the counter peeped into the showcases, poked her head into the window, drew out the drawers that lined the wall, pulled covers from the boxes on the shelves. There is no knowing where her investigations would have ended if Billy had not said. See here, Mrs. Curiosity. We can't put in the whole morning on the shop. This is a preliminary tour of investigation. Come and see the rest of it. This way to the living room. The living room led from the shop, a big square room, empty now, of course. Maida limped over to the window. Oh, she cried, did you ever see such a darling little yard? It surely is little, Billy agreed. Not much bigger than a pocket handkerchief, is it? And yet, scrap of a place as the yard was, it had an air of completeness, a pretty quaintness. Two tiny brick walks curved from the door to the gate. On either side of these spread out microscopic flower beds crowded tight with plants. Late blooming dahlias and asters made spots of starry color in the green. A vine running over the door to the second story waved like a crimson banner dropped from the window. The old lady must have been fond of flowers, Billy Potter said. He squinted his nearsighted blue eyes and studied the bunches of green. Syringa bush in one corner, lilac bush in the other, nasturtiums at the edges, morning glories running up the fence, sunflowers in between. My, won't it be fun to see them all racing up in the spring? Maida jumped up and down at the thought. She could not jump like other children. Indeed, this was the first time that she had ever tried. It was as if her feet were like flat irons. Granny Flynn turned quickly away 
and Billy bit his lips. I know just how I'm going to fix this room up for you, Petronella, Billy said, nodding his head mysteriously. Now let's go into the kitchen. The kitchen led from the living room. Billy exclaimed when he saw it, and Maida shook her hands, but it was Granny who actually screamed with delight. Much bigger than the living room, it had four windows with sunshine pouring in through every one of them. But it was not the four windows, nor yet the sunshine that made the sensation. It was the stone floor. We'll put a carpet on it if you think it's too cold, Granny, Billy suggested immediately. Oh, have it be, Mr. Billy, Granny begged. Tis like my old home in Ireland. All right, Billy agreed cheerfully. What you say goes, Granny. Now upstairs to the sleeping rooms. To get to the second floor, they climbed a little stairway not more than three feet wide, with steps very high, most of them triangular in shape because the stairway had to turn so often. And upstairs, after they got there, consisted of three rooms, two big and square and light, and one smaller and darker. The small room is to be made into a bathroom, Billy explained, and these two big ones are to be your bedrooms. Which one will you have, Maida? Maida examined both rooms carefully. Well, I don't care for myself which I have, she said. But it does seem as if there were a teeny-weeny more sun in this one. I think Granny ought to have it, for she loves the sunshine on her old bones. You know, Billy, Granny and I have the greatest fun about our bones. Hers are all wrong because they're so old and mine are all wrong because they're so young. All right, Billy agreed. Sunshiny one for Granny, shady one for you. That's settled. I hope you realize Miss Maida, Elizabeth, Fairfax, Petronella, Pinkwink, Posy, Westerbrook, what perfectly bully rooms these are. They're as old as Noah. I'm glad they're old, Maida said. But of course they must be. This house was here when Dr. Pierce was a little boy, and that must have been a long, long time ago. Just look at the floors, Billy went on admiringly. See how uneven they are? You'll have to walk straight here, Petronilla, to keep from falling down. That old wooden wainscoting is simply charming. That's a nice old fireplace, too. And these old doors are perfect. Granny Flynn was working the latch of one of the old doors with her wrinkled hands. Many's the time I've snibbed a latch like that in Ireland, she said, and she smiled so hard that her very wrinkles seemed to twinkle. And look at the windows, Granny, Billy said. Sixteen panes of glass each. I hope you'll make Petronella wash them. Oh, Granny, will you let me wash the windows? Maida asked ecstatically. When you're grand and strong, Granny promised. I know just how I'll furnish the room, Billy said half to himself. Oh, Billy, tell me, Maida begged. Can't, he protested mischievously. You've got to wait till it's all finished before you see hide or hair of it. I know I'll die of curiosity, Maida protested. But then, of course, I shall be very busy with my own business. 
Ah, yes, Billy replied. Now that you've embarked on a mercantile career, Miss Westerbrook, I think you'll find that you'll have less and less time for the decorative side of life. Billy spoke so seriously that most little girls would have been awed by his manner, but Maida recognized the tone that he always employed when he was joking her. Beside, his eyes were all sprinkled up. She did not quite understand what the joke was, but she smiled back at him. Now can we look at the things downstairs, she pleaded. Yes, Billy assented. Today is a very important day. Behind locked doors and sealed windows, we're going to take account of stock. Granny Flynn remained in the bedrooms to make all kinds of mysterious measurements, to open and shut doors, to examine closets, to try window sashes, even to poke her head up the chimney. Downstairs, Billy and Maida opened boxes and boxes and boxes and drawers and drawers and drawers. Every one of these had been carefully gone over by the conscientious Mrs. Murdoch. Two boxes bulged with toys, too broken or soiled to be of any use. These they threw in the ash barrel at once. What was left they dumped on the floor. Maida and Billy sat down beside the heap and examined the things one by one. Maida had never seen such toys in her life, so cheap and yet so amusing. It was hard work to keep to business with such enchanting temptation to play all about them. Billy insisted on spinning every top. He got five going at once. On blowing every balloon, he produced such dreadful wails of agony that Granny came running downstairs in great alarm. On jumping with every jump rope, the short ones tripped him up and once he sprawled headlong. On playing jackstones, Maida beat him easily at this. On playing marbles, with a piece of crayon, he drew a ring on the floor. On looking through all the books, he declared that he was going to buy some little penny pamphlet fairy tales as soon as he could save the money. But in spite of all this fooling, they really accomplished a great deal. They found very few eatables, candy, fruit, or the like. Mrs. Murdoch had wisely sold out this perishable stock. One glass jar, however, was crammed full of what Billy recognized to be bullseyes, round lumps of candy as big as plums and as hard as stones. Billy said he loved bullseyes better than broiled live lobster, that he had not tasted one since he was half past ten. For the rest of the day, one of his cheeks stuck out as if he had a toothache. They came across all kinds of odds and ends. Lead pencils, blank books, an old slate pencil wrapped in gold paper which Billy insisted on using to draw pictures on a slate. He made this squeak so that Maida clapped her hands over her ears. They found single pieces from sets of miniature furniture, a great many dolls, rag dolls, china dolls, celluloid dolls, and two old-fashioned waxen darlings whose features had all run together from being left in too great a heat. 
they went through all these things, sorting them into heaps, which they afterwards placed in boxes. At noon, Billy went out and bought lunch. Still squatting on the floor, the three of them ate sandwiches and drank milk. Granny said that Maida had never eaten so much at one meal. All this happened on Saturday. Maida did not see the little shop again until it was finished. By Monday, the place was as busy as a beehive. Men were putting in a furnace, putting in a telephone, putting in a bathroom, whitening the plaster, painting the woodwork. Finally came two days of waiting for the paint to dry. Will it ever, ever, ever dry? Maida used to ask Billy on the most despairing of voices. By Thursday, the rooms were ready for their second coat of paint. Oh, Billy, do tell me what color it is. I can't wait to see it, Maida begged. But sky blue pink was all she got from Billy. Saturday, the furniture came. In the meantime, Maida had been going to all the principal wholesale places in Boston, picking out new stock. Granny Flynn accompanied her or stayed at home according to the way she felt, but Billy never missed a trip. Maida enjoyed this tremendously, although often she had to go to bed before dark. She said it was the responsibility that tired her. To Maida, these big wholesale places seemed like storehouses of Santa Claus. In reality, they were great halls lined with parallel rows of counters. The counters were covered with boxes and the boxes were filled with toys. Along the aisles between the counters moved crowds of buyers busily examining the display. It was particularly hard for Maida to choose because she was limited by price. She kept recalling Mrs. Murdoch's advice, get as many things as you can for a cent apiece. The expensive toys tempted her, but although she often stopped and looked them wistfully over, she always ended by going to the cheaper counters. You ought to be thinking how you'll decorate the windows for your first day sale, Billy advised her. You must make it look as tempting as possible. I think, myself, it's always a good plan to display the toys that go with the season. Maida thought of this a great deal after she went to bed at night. By the end of the week, she could see in imagination just how her windows were going to look. Saturday night, Billy told her that everything was ready, that she should see the completed house Monday morning. It seemed to Maida that the Sunday coming in between was the longest day that she'd ever known. When she unlocked the door to the shop the next morning, she let out a little squeal of joy. Oh, I would never know it, she declared how much bigger it looks, and lighter, and prettier. Indeed, you would never have known the place yourself. The ceiling had been whitened. The faded drab woodwork had been painted white. 
The walls had been colored a beautiful soft yellow. Back of the counter, a series of shelves, glassed in by sliding doors, ran the whole length of the wall and nearly to the ceiling. Behind the showcase stood a comfortable, cushioned swivel chair. The stuff you've been buying, Petronella, Billy said, pointing to a big pile of boxes in the corner. Now, while Granny and I are putting some last touches to the room upstairs, you might be arranging the window. That's just what I plan to do, Maida said, bubbling with importance. But you promise not to interrupt me till it's done. All right, Billy agreed, smiling. He continued to smile as he opened the boxes. It did not occur to Maida to ask them what they were going to do upstairs. It did not occur to her even to go up there. From time to time, she heard Granny and Billy laughing. One of Billy's jokes she said to herself. Once, she thought she heard the chirp of a bird, but she would not leave her work to find out what it was. When the 12 o'clock whistle blew, she called to Granny and to Billy to come see the results of her morning's labor. I say, Billy emitted a long, loud whistle. Oh, do you like it? Maida asked anxiously. It's a grand piece of work, Petronilla, Billy said heartily. The window certainly struck the keynote of the season. Tops of all sizes and colors were arranged in pretty patterns in the middle. Marbles of all kinds from the ten for a cent peeweezers up to the most beautiful colored agates were displayed at the sides. Jump ropes of variegated colors with the handles, brilliantly painted, were festooned at the back. One of the window shelves had been furnished like a tiny room. A whole family of dolls sat about on the tiny sofas and chairs. On the other shelf lay neat piles of blank books and paper blocks, with files of pens, pencils, and rubbers arranged in a decorative pattern surrounding them all. In the showcase, fresh candies had been laid out carefully on saucers and platters of glass. On the counter was a big flowered bowl. Tomorrow, I'm going to fill that bowl with asters, Maida explained. Oh, I'm sure the child has done fine, Granny Flynn said. I couldn't have done better myself. Now, come and look at your rooms, Petronilla, Billy begged, his eyes dancing. Maida opened the door leading into the living room. Then she squealed her delight, not once, but continuously like a very happy little pig. The room was as changed as if some good fairy had waved a magic wand there. All the woodwork had turned a glistening white. The wallpaper blossomed with garlands of red roses tied with snoods of red ribbons. At each of the three windows waved sash curtains of a snowy muslin. At each of the three sashes hung a golden cage with a pair of golden canaries in it. Along each of the three sills marched pots of brilliantly blooming scarlet geraniums. A fire spluttered and sparkled in the fireplace, and drawn up in front of it 
was a big easy chair for Granny and a small easy one for Maida. Familiar things lay about too. In one corner gleamed the cheerful face of the tall old clock which marked the hours with so silvery a voice and the moon changes by such pretty pictures. In another corner shone the polished surface of a spidery-legged little spinet. Maida loved both these things almost as much as if they had been human beings, for her mother and her grandmother and her great-grandmother had loved them before her. Needed things caught her eyes everywhere. Here was a little bookcase with all her favorite books. There was a desk, stocked with business-like looking blank books. Even the familiar table with Granny's Book of Saints stood near the easy chair. Granny's spectacles lay on an open page marking the place. In the center of the room stood a table set for three. It's just the dearest place, Maida said. Billy, you've remembered everything. I thought I heard a bird peep once, but I was too busy to think about it. Want to go upstairs? Billy asked. I'd forgotten all about bedrooms. Maida flew up the stairs as if she had never known a crutch. The two bedrooms were very simple, all white woodwork, furniture, beds, even the fur rugs on the floor. But they were wonderfully gay from the beautiful paper that Billy had selected. In Granny's room, the walls imitated a flower chintz. But in Maida's room, every panel was different, and they all helped to tell the same happy story of a day's hunting in the time when men wore long feathered hats on their curls, when ladies dressed like pictures and all carried falcons on their wrists. Granny, Maida called down to them, did you ever see any place in all your life that felt so homey? I guess it will do, Billy said in an undertone. That night, for the first time, Maida slept in the room over the little shop. And as the storytelling comes to a conclusion, you can just rest here now following my voice as I gently guide you into a deeper feeling of relaxation. And as you focus on my words and the silent pauses between my words, you may notice a feeling of sleepiness beginning to grow and expand and it feels wonderful. And as you give way to this sleepy feeling, it makes you feel heavier and heavier, sleepier and sleepier. Letting go, letting go, and surrendering the weight of your body sinking down into the softness of that cozy bed 
And as this feeling of relaxation naturally grows and expands, it pulls you down easily, deeper and deeper down, helping you sink all the way down into that comfort beneath you. And as you melt deeper down into your bed, imagine an orange sparkly mist floating above you like a soft cloud. And this orange mist has a calming effect over your body, your mind, your entire being. It calms your breathing. And as your breathing calms down, it naturally slows down the beating of your heart. And even your thoughts calm down. Imagine the comforting energy that this orange mist radiates like a comfy blanket, and you feel safe and at ease, and the more at ease you feel, the easier it is to give way to this sleepy relaxation. There is nothing left to do, my friend, and nowhere else to be. It is time to rest. It is time to sleep. And when you feel ready, and in your own way and time, you will easily drift off into a sound and restful sleep.